1: A plane into a building. Okay. On the surface, that's what September 11th was. Address, Planes but into buildings. We
2: got two calls, one
3: from the 104th floor, Yeah. and one to the floor floor. They said they broke the windows act, but they can't breathe, it there's so much smoke. There
1: was smoke. Okay, there was you. fire. You saw
3: an explosion? You saw an explosion at the Twin Towers.
1: There was bewilderment. Was it?
3: it stated that a second plane oh, yeah. hit the other. another building opposite of the first building that got hit.
1: There was confusion. And false hope. I'll let them know you're there, okay? You hang it there, bro, all right? It was barely 10 a.m. on September 11th, 2001, when it became clear the day was more than planes into buildings. It was the day that redefined everything. And now, 20 years later, those generational changes are fully in focus. In ways, the nation is safer, air travel more secure, the population more aware. There's also more surveillance, more suspicion, and more aggression. Police became counterterrorism forces. The nation embarked on two controversial and unpopular wars. There's also loss, tallies of death from the attack, from the cleanup, from the wars, even 20 years after and beyond. I'm Aaron Katursky. This is Remembering 9-11, 20 Years Later, from ABC News.
4: North Tower. Um, Right over here is uh, where the 13th Precinct is, which is where my mom was uh, stationed. And so on that day, she was kind of patrolling around this area, around the North Tower.
1: Patricia Smith was two when her mother, New York City Police Officer Moira Smith, was among the first to see a plane strike the World Trade Center in Lower Manhattan.
4: She actually watched the plane hit the towers, and then she kind of looked around like, did everyone see that too? And then a couple people were like, yeah, we saw that too. So She gathered them up and then took them over, kind of dumped them off, said here, um, these people saw it happen, I need to go.
5: I remember that day very, very well. I remember waking up and it was an unseasonably warm day and it was a beautiful blue sky. Red
1: Eagleson was 15 and at school when his father, Bruce, on the 17th floor of the World Trade Center, called home to say he was okay and would get out after he helped others evacuate.
5: And the last that we were able to piece together was that the last he told a colleague was that he was on his way back up the stairs going to grab the radios when the, uh, when the towers fell on him.
1: Roger Cressy was on the National Security Council.
2: When it came to aircraft and aircraft security, we were still worried about the old threat. We were worried about the threat of hijacking aircraft for political purposes. We weren't
6: focused on the use of a plane as a missile. The failure of imagination um, was the phrase that captured that, that totality of Not understanding just how ambitious they were.
1: John Farmer was counsel to the 9/11 Commission. I just don't think it was in their
6: scope to even think that they would, they would do hijackings in a way no one had ever done them. That they would, you know, they would try to make the planes disappear and then use them as bombs. Uh, That they would find 19 people willing to blow themselves up. Um, That they would, they would, they would uh, scope out our security system well enough to know that they could, or to believe they could defeat it.
1: On September 11, 2001, 19 hijackers boarded four separate flights, American Airlines Flight 11 and United Airlines Flight 175 departing Boston, American Airlines Flight 77 departing Washington, D.C., and United Airlines Flight 93 departing Newark. All four were bound for California ensuring each would be loaded with a large amount of fuel.
7: American 11, if you hear Boston Center, uh, recontact Boston Center on 127.82. That's American 11, 127.82.
1: The chaos in the air began 20 minutes after takeoff. American Flight 11 was hijacked.
7: The flight attendant is advising our reps that the pilot, everyone's been stabbed.
1: Flight attendant Betty Ong called to report that something wasn't right.
3: The cockpit's not answering. Somebody's stabbed in business class. And um, I think there's Mace that we can't breathe, I, I don't know. I think we're getting hijacked.
1: Five minutes later, a hijacker meant to make an announcement to those on the plane, but hit the wrong button, keying his mic to ground control.
6: Is that American 11 trying to call? Buddy, We have some planes. Just stay quiet and you'll be okay. We're turning to the airport. And uh, who's trying
7: to call me here? American 11, are you trying to call? Nobody move.
6: Everything was Okay. If you try to make any move, you'll injure yourself and the airplane. Just stay quiet.
1: The next two hours changed the world as we know it.
6: We have another missing airplane. There were airplanes that were starting to fly around in the sky that weren't talking to anybody.
1: At the time, Frank Hatfield managed air traffic control
6: for the FAA in New York. So you're missing more airplanes. That tells you right away. This is no coincidence, not major air carriers. You don't lose major air carriers in the sky.
1: At the National Security Council, Roger Cressy began to
2: worry. At the time, we thought there might have been as many as 11 planes hijacked. Uh, He turned his
6: transponder off, so we don't have a definitive altitude for him. Uh, we're just going by. They, they seem to think that they have on a primary radar. They seem to think that he is the sun.
1: The first target, the North Tower of the World Trade Center.
7: World Trade Center number one. Okay, what's going on? Okay, she said a passenger airplane hits the World Trade Center above the 85th floor, 85th floor. An airplane on the, to the place to hit the
3: building. Right. Oh,
2: World Trade Center. We just had a,
7: a plane crash into upper
2: floor of the World Trade Center. Transmit a second alarm.
6: We companies into the area. We heard and felt in this building the impact of that plane into the North Tower. It shook this building. Dan Nigro is
1: New York City's fire commissioner. When the first plane hit, he was at headquarters in Brooklyn as the fire department's chief of operations.
6: Chief Gantze, my uh, immediate boss and good friend, shouted out to me, Dan, look out the window. A plane just hit the World Trade Center. Anybody know? Sorry, so again. A lot of smoke in lower Manhattan. A lot of smoke in lower Manhattan. Out of the uh, top of the World Trade Center building, a major fire.
1: Immediately, Nigro drove with then Chief of Department Pete Gansey to the World
6: Trade Center. So over the Brooklyn Bridge, we could see what we were up against. And I said to Pete, we, we can't put this much fire out in a high-rise building. We've never done that not even realizing what the day would become i said to him this is this will be the worst day in our lives and uh, that certainly came true and tenfold you knew then i mean you had to know that anybody who was in the plane was dead and many people in the building were dead and any of us responding in or responding into an extremely dangerous situation
1: 17 minutes later 11. Plane number two crashed into the South Tower. Oh, my God. This is how Good Morning America described it.
5: That looks
6: like a second plane.
5: Has just I didn't
6: see a plane go in. That, that just exploded. We I- just
1: saw another plane coming in from the side.
6: And as we were deploying units into the North Tower, we heard the roar of another plane flying too low and too fast from the south. Looked up, and I saw the United Airlines flight hit a little lower uh, in the south tower and parts of that plane came right through the building so whatever we were up against doubled.
2: And at one point one of the senior White House Situation Room uh, officials came in and said we got to report a plane is less than 10 minutes out.
1: Roger Cressy and the National Security Team gathered in the White House Situation Room.
2: We all had this conversation very quickly. Do we leave or do we stay? And we all said we're
3: staying.
6: And, uh, this-
1: The third plane struck the Pentagon at 937. By then, passengers aboard United 93 knew what was going on. There were more than three dozen calls from the plane after it was hijacked.
6: United 93, understand, have a bomb on board, go ahead. A
1: group of passengers stormed the cockpit to take control of the plane before it hit its intended target in Washington.
3: United 93, have you got information on that yet? Yeah, he's down. He's down? Yes. When did he land? Because he he did, he,
6: did, he did not land.
1: Flight 93 ended in a field in Pennsylvania.
6: Cheap. Uh, the plane went down in the Shanksville area.
1: Back in New York, amid the chaos outside, we're on the floor. stairway Firefighters climbed a World Trade Center stairwell to reach those
6: trapped.
2: What floor are you on, Scotty? <laughs> 54. <laughs> I keep making your way up.
6: We're behind you. You know, I could see it in their eyes, but talking to some of the members later, some of the survivors, um, they really felt entering the building that they may not come out of the building. And that was true for three hundred and forty three members of this department and many of NYPD and Port Authority police, uh, all trying to do the same thing, get as many people out of the towers as we possibly could.
1: 2,977 people were killed September eleventh, two 2001, among them 441 first responders. The majority were New York City firefighters. Current Fire Commissioner Dan Nigro was the FDNY's chief of operations at the time.
6: We just knew we were putting people at risk, and people responded. They, they did what they swore an oath to do. Do you remember the box number? 5-5, five, five, Manhattan Box 558087. Five, oh, which was transmitted a number of times. There were actually 3 alarms transmitted that day, which tells you uh, 750 members of the department responded, and uh, almost half of them uh, didn't come home.
1: 343 members of the FDNY were killed that day. So were 37 Port Authority police officers and 23 NYPD officers. 9-11-related illnesses have killed hundreds more first responders in the last 20 years and will keep killing for the next 20. Moira Smith was the only female NYPD officer who died on 9-11. Her daughter, Patricia, was only two. We spoke to her at the reflecting pool of the 9-11 memorial.
4: It wasn't so much of, oh, I lost Moira Smith. It was like, I lost my mom, like a figure. So... It was a little more difficult for me because I was always upset about how everyone else got to experience her, but I never did. And so, um, sorry. <laughs> it was hard to kind of hear everyone else's stories, but I didn't get that for myself. Units, remove yourselves from the location. I first, remove yourselves from the location.
1: This time, we got another tower collapsed. Another tower collapsed. Officer Moira Smith is thought to have been the first to radio in the plane hitting the North Tower. She immediately gathered eyewitnesses and then ran back to help people evacuate. This
4: is the South Tower. Um, the South Tower is where my mom ended up being. That was her last stop, I guess you could call it, after her many destinations on 911. Officers that are on the scene over there. That last transmission you can definitely hear it that my mom was suffering and I have to live with that and my family has to live with that but I also think it's something that's really important for other people to listen to or hear because, especially 20 years later, I think we kind of get lost in what the day was and how it actually played out and how it felt for a lot of people. Listen, we got a female officer down. We need a a search. Where are
2: you, Kate? Where was your last location? Where was your last location? Talk to us. Excuse me, me. let me talk to the female officer that's down. Female officer, where are you, Kate? What was your last location? Tell me, what floor are you on? Third floor. The floor. Third. Officer, what you want? Ah. Huh? we got a female officer down, possibly on the
0: third floor of the second tower.
1: Rhett Eagleson was 15 when his dad Bruce was overseeing the redevelopment of a shopping mall at the bottom of the World Trade Center. When the plane hit, he called to say he was fine and would evacuate once he helped his employees get out.
5: At the 9-11 memorial mass that we had for him, uh, a few weeks after 9-11, someone came up to my mother and said, I'm alive today because of what your husband did. He's really someone to be proud of, but at the same time, I think the selfish side of us wishes that he just walked out the front door like a lot of other people did that day.
1: All 10 people Bruce Eagleson supervised made it out. He did not.
5: You know, it's been really because it's a bittersweet memory of my dad you know he had every opportunity that he could have to get out of the building it's almost you know the selfish part of me wonders why didn't he just get out but then you know the proud part of us is you know he really did die a hero that day
1: the Eaglesons are among 1100 families who share an unwanted bond Their loved ones died at the World Trade Center, but have not been formally identified.
5: We've never recovered him, uh, not, not even a trace.
1: Many of the human remains recovered in the wreckage were damaged by jet fuel and fire. But the New York City Office of the Chief Medical Examiner made a solemn promise to identify as many as possible. In the last two decades, DNA technology has improved, and forensic scientists are still trying.
5: My family, along with many other families, are still waiting on remains to be found. And that, again, added to the pain and misery that day is that we're still waiting for a word. But at some point, you sort of just have to make a decision to accept the fact that he's lost.
1: Monica Eichen has accepted her loss, but it has not been easy. Her husband, Michael, worked on the 84th floor of the South Tower. We spoke in its footprint at the 9-11 Museum.
0: When someone dies in a location, you can bring them home. But I couldn't bring him home, so this is his home for me.
1: You do not have remains. You, there was nothing to bury. Nope. There was no formal identification. Can you explain what that's like?
0: It's horrible because, I mean, like, like he went to work and disappeared, uh, you know, like from the planet, like with nothing, not even an ID, zero. I mean, it's just the most mind-blowing thing, and. I think it was hard for people to understand why I was so, um, I had to be here, because this is where I connect with him.
1: A former elementary school teacher, Monica opened a preschool named for Michael, and she helped create the 9-11 Museum.
0: I'm optimistic that he is in this museum, because I feel him here. And even, to be honest with you, even if he isn't found, he is here for me. So at the end of the day, I know he's here.
1: For Patricia Smith, honoring her mother's memory has meant a different kind of activism.
4: I was in Guantanamo for an entire week, and we were able to go to four or five court sessions.
1: Guantanamo Bay, where Khalid Sheikh Mohammed and the other four men charged with plotting the 9-11 attacks have been held, and still, 20 years later, not tried for war crimes.
4: It really blew my mind that we were, at that point, 17 years after 9-11, and... The people that were the masterminds behind this project still weren't even put on trial. They were just sitting in basically a detention center, not doing anything. It just felt unfair after that for a little bit, and it still kind of feels unfair, and I'm still kind of angry. But you know, it's it's a process. I'm more angry with the entire situation, so um, I don't want it to affect my everyday life. So I try not to let it affect my everyday life, but the closer I get to the anniversary every year, but especially this year, um, it still it still makes me angry that this is where we are 20 years later. Justice delayed is justice denied. And now we're 20 years later with no justice. So at this point, it's,
5: we're kind of being denied it.
1: A similar feeling tugs at Brett Eagleson.
5: I was at a point in my life where I started questioning not, not the narrative that planes hit the World Trade Center, but how they all pulled it off and there was no way these 19 hijackers with their level of education and their level of knowledge of American culture and their level of English was able to pull off an attack so destructive and so consequential on the United States.
1: Eagleson joined a class action lawsuit against Saudi Arabia.
5: So the charges is that without the Saudi support network in place, They never would have been able to pull off one of the most devastating and consequential attacks in the history of the world.
1: The 9-11 Commission found no evidence the Saudi government as an institution or as individual senior officials knowingly support or supported al-Qaeda. Brett Eagleson is not convinced, and he, along with other plaintiff families, have pushed the Biden administration to release key documents.
5: We're seeking the truth. Uh, We're seeking accountability. We want the story of 9-11 to be told right. You know, I I tell a lot of people that ask me why I do this or why we do this. It's so important that um, my daughter, and I'm a new father, I want to make sure that when she goes to school, that she grows up in a world and she grows up where there's a curriculum, when they teach 9-11, that they teach about the Saudi role, about the Saudi support network. Um, You know, the world changed on 9-11. There's before 9-11 and after 9-11, you know, History needs to be written, right? And uh, the further and further we get away from 9-11, the easier it is to forget about really what happened that day and the easier it is to forget about the truth.
1: Coming up, The Last Survivor, when this ABC News special, Remembering 9-11 20 Years Later, continues.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify.
1: 20 years ago, on September 11, 2001, Janelle Guzman-McMillan was working on the 64th floor of the World Trade Center's North Tower. When American Airlines Flight 11 struck the building, she stayed. It wasn't until smoke began pouring into her floor that she and some of her co-workers decided to head for the stairs. She made it down 50 flights, and then the North Tower collapsed. Buried under concrete and debris, somehow Janelle survived, rescued 27 hours later the very last survivor pulled from the rubble of the World Trade Center. She sat down with our Robin Roberts to remember that day.
7: It's hard to believe it's been 20 years. 20 years, wow, it's like unbelievable. I'm still here. What was your lifestyle before 9-11? <laughs> it was crazy, it was just a crazy, untouchable, invincible. When I realized that I was going to work at the World Trade Center, that
2: was like, oh, I, I'm here. I've
7: landed, and I have made it.
2: 31-year-old Janelle had taken a job with the Port Authority located on the 64th floor of the North Tower. You had no idea what had happened. I did not know what was going on.
7: When I looked towards the window, there's like lots of papers and debris like in the skies. So I thought to myself that maybe something happened on the higher floors and a window got blew open and papers would just scattered around. Why did some of you stay? So I stayed because I've been through the fire drill and I said, okay, it's not serious yet because no announcement came on and we made a couple phone calls and they told us it's okay to stay.
2: Above the 93rd floor of the North Tower, there was no way out. On the floors below, noxious smoke was pouring in. You're on the 64th floor of the North Tower. Mm -hmm. Was there smoke beginning to come into the office space?
7: One of the guys told us to get jackets or anything that is left in people's cubicle and wet it and put it by the doorway.
2: As smoke begins to engulf their floor, Janelle and some of her co-workers finally decide to get out of the North Tower.
7: And we were going down, we would counting these staircase holding hands. And I think when we made it to the 30-something staircase, there were firefighters coming up. So then I felt good okay they're coming up we're going down well it's not that we're gonna make it it's not that bad
2: as the north tower collapsed janelle was still inside tell us what happened at that point i just kept holding holding onto the railing
7: and The rubble, the dust, the darkness, the walls just burst open. I just felt everything, I just hear hear the noise so loud. The, The walls just opened up and the dust just come hidden on top of me.
2: Janelle lay buried under tons of concrete and rubble at the base of the North Tower.
7: It was dead silence. And I just lay there. And um, within that little moment, I heard someone call out help, but very faint, like somebody buried. Just called out help, help. And I tried to get up and I realized I couldn't move. I felt the pain. My head was like feeling like it was going to explode. My head got stuck between the concrete pillar and my arms were beneath my stomach, and my legs were crisscrossed. So I was in a weird position. And then I came to the realization that I'm gonna die. They're not gonna find me.
2: Janelle, trapped under the rubble of the North Tower, was barely holding on to life.
7: I was awake, but I knew it was pinned under there, and I knew that I'm just gonna see myself slowly dying under here. I was just praying and asking God to show me a sign or show me a miracle. What'd you say to God? Please give me a second chance. If you pull me out from this rubble, I promise I would do your will and I would change my life.
2: As night fell, rescue teams desperately continued to dig searching for signs of life. Did you have any sense of time? How much time had been passing? Did you know if it was night, if it was morning? No. I felt cold at
7: one point, very cold out, my shivering, my body was like shivering. I'm in and out of this sleep, but conscious because I could hear everything outside. I could hear a lot of movements outside. And uh, so I knew that I wasn't just sleep the whole 27 hours.
2: By morning on September 12th, they were still searching as Janelle lay trapped beneath them.
7: I felt like I was going to give up. And I could hear the noises coming up and I see someone, I see someone, she's alive, she's alive. And then I could hear them coming closer, and like above me, somebody grabbed my hand. I got you. He kept holding my hand and telling me, "You're going to be fine. Just hang in there until the rescue will come. I'm not going to let you go."
2: Firemen finally pulled Janelle out 27 hours after the collapse of the North Tower.
7: Like now, I was in the open where they bring me out. I knew it was daytime because the sun hit my face and I tried to like open my eyes, but my eyes could barely open. But I could see the skyline, I could see a little bit. And when I felt that sun hit my face, I knew my family was gonna be so happy.
2: In the years following 9-11, Janelle has married and expanded her family.
7: After the promises that I made to God. I start going to the Brooklyn Tabernacle Church. I got baptized in November that same year. Get married and everything, that same year. And this, the life that I'm living now, I'm, I'm forever grateful. And I wouldn't trade it for anything else. Despite my injury, despite what I've been through, it's the best me, and I love this life.
1: In the days after 9-11, ABC News spoke to some of the families who lost loved ones on that day, and among them we noticed were so many young women, new widows, who were soon to be, or who had just become, mothers. We stayed in touch with them over the years, and recently held something of a reunion, this time joined by their children, who are now 19 and 20 years old. We were there when Terrell and Essie and Jenna Jacobs met for the first time 20 years ago, they were two new widows and moms. It was just three months after 9-11. Hi.
3: Hi how are you? Are you? So Hi. Hi. I'm Carolyn.:
0: Hi, Jenna. Hi, Jenna. Jenna, how are you?
1: Over the years, they have formed a close friendship.
0: Have you had any moments where, like, you can, I don't know, almost like you have concrete evidence that he's there? Have you ever had any moments like that? I have. Yes. Yes.
1: This topic was a common thread at our reunion. Trish Strain.
0: There's a red fox across the street, and I just, I looked at it and I said, oh, hi, Jimmy. <laughs> and it stopped, and it just looked at me, and, and I said, you know, everything's okay, and the boys are good, and then just like, all right, you can go. <laughs> I like, all right, and I scurried off.
1: Some say a cardinal is a sign from someone who was passed.
0: I saw one on my ride down the
3: road, and another one crossed the road in front of me, and then another one on the path as I walked in. I'm like, you're with me.
1: Ollie O'Neill and her daughter find comfort in ladybugs.
3: There was always ladybugs around in our apartment. Now whenever she sees a ladybug,
4: even at college, in a weird place, it's like my dad is with me. Yeah.
1: Mary Lyons also knows her father is watching.
3: Not that he would already know, but um I think I would let him know that like like we're happy but he already knows that.
1: And Terrilyn Essie says she remembers someone else from our first gathering.
3: My strongest memory is, is, is really Bahrain. She was, you know, and I remember her standing, and she was standing sort of off to the side. And I saw her there, and I just I was just compelled to go over to her. And then I found out that she was having issues just walking around New York.
1: Farahina Shrafi, a 9-11 widow, a new mom, and someone being taunted on the streets of New York. This was her then.
5: People don't realize, don't understand what I have inside. I'm the victim also.
1: Two women from two very different worlds. Terilyn had just celebrated her one-year wedding anniversary with her husband Jim, who was a banker at Cantor Fitzgerald. Farahine was married in Bangladesh at a wedding arranged by her parents. Her husband, a physicist who decided to come to the United States for freedom, even though the only work he could find was as a waiter at Windows on the World, the restaurant in the World Trade Center. After his death, Baraheen had to do something she had never planned to do back home. She took driving lessons.
7: I'm trying to not to feel nervous, but if you open my mind, you'll see I'm feeling a little bit,
6: <laughs> little bit nervous. You did fine. This is gonna be your temporary license. Thank it's you valid. very much. You're Thank welcome. You it's valid for three months. They'll send the permanent license to your home automatically. That takes about three weeks. So it's not necessary to go into motor vehicles. Okay? All right? I'm going to need your signature.
1: Her baby boy, Farhad had been born just two days after the attack. And for 20 years, she has been teaching him about his father.
4: Daddy's
7: watching you all the time, Farhad. even though you can't see him. He's seeing you and
2: he's so
4: proud of you and you, you'll make him proud.
1: At our first gathering, Tara Lynn was trying to comfort her infant Jack. She needed some help and she went to Barahin.
3: I said to her, wow, how, what do you say to your children when they ask where their dad is? And she looked at me with these gorgeous big brown eyes that were filled with tears and she's so beautiful and um and she said i tell them to close their eyes and look inside their heart and i've never forgotten it i i came up with a little kind of thing that we did together um and it was um you know where does daddy jim live and he would say in heaven and who does he live with the angels and when you want to talk to daddy jim you close your eyes and look inside and he would say my heart. Where does does your dad live? Heaven. Heaven, and who does he live with? God. And who else? Angels. Angels. And when you want to talk to daddy, you close your eyes and look inside the mirror. And where's your heart? Oh, yes, that's nice, love. Daddy loves you.
1: Baby Jack is now 19 years old and grateful for the mother who tried so hard to help him hold his dad close.
5: I just appreciate everything she's done because she's like the strongest person I've ever met. Yeah. Really appreciate her.
1: And as for Barahin, she sent her love to us and to the country, but she and her children asked to remain private on this anniversary. Her older daughter is thriving in law school, and her baby boy, Farkad, is now in college. September 11th has left a complicated legacy of unanswered questions, unidentified remains, and unpopular wars. It made us fearful, suspicious, and aggressive. It rendered us speechless and left us in mourning. 9-11 also spotlighted our best. The firefighters and cops who rescued, the iron workers who toiled, the chaplains who comforted, the survivors who endured. We asked some of these people how they marked 20 years. Janelle Guzman-McMillan was the last survivor pulled from the wreckage of the World Trade Center.
7: Honestly, I think that doing the anniversary every year, it brings a lot of comfort and peace to families. It's something that would never go away, and it shouldn't. It shouldn't.
1: Judith Castro was an NYPD officer who helped evacuate the towers and who became trapped when the buildings came down. She crawled to safety, carrying a fellow officer on her back.
7: When the day comes, I just sit there and remember every step of that day.
1: Douglas Macmillan Cherry,
3: Stephen Patrick Cherry, Nestor Julio Chevalier.
7: And as they read those names, we just cry.
6: And my brother fdny ladder 24 captain daniel james Brethel
2: and my husband mark
3: francis broderick
1: regina wilson was a new york city firefighter she dug through debris and then stayed for months as part of the recovery
7: so many people have sacrificed so much 343 plus members of the fire department they made the supreme sacrifice and it should never be forgotten
1: debbie st john was struck and gravely injured by falling debris She said she had about 50 surgeries and procedures on her injuries in the last 20 years.
0: When there's
3: joy and you're feeling good, you live it. You love it, you take as much in as you can, and you live to the fullest. I think that's probably the major lesson I've learned from 9-11.
1: Marilyn Wills was a lieutenant colonel in the US Army, working at the Pentagon on 9-11. Crawling through smoke and debris, she led many to safety. Desperate to save others, she left the burning building only when being ordered to by her superior officer.
7: The one thing that I would leave with the American public is that we're all the same. Reach out and touch somebody, love people. We're all the same. Don't dwell on the past too much because sometimes the past can bring us pain.
1: 20 years after the unthinkable, on one beautiful late summer morning, it still feels impossible to summarize what happened, what emerged from the dust, and what it may mean. We're left to consider whether 9-11 was a day or an era, whether the nation is safer or darker or both. What we cannot forget is the America that was seen that day, the kindness, the humanity, the firefighters and cops and EMTs, a spirit of togetherness that jutted through broken concrete, I'm Aaron Katursky. You've been listening to a special presentation from ABC News.
3: Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer.